Thank you for your goodness and your mercy that endures forever and ever and ever. Your mercy that endures forever. We ask you, Lord, where we've missed it, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us that we might find grace. As we obtain mercy, we receive that forgiveness. Open our eyes, open our hearts that we might find grace. That divine favor, that unmerited favor, that overwhelming ability, that influence upon a heart that has its reflection out in our life, that as it reflects out, it refracts the very light of life, the life of God. We accept your lordship, which means you reign. Not only in the world, you reign over our life. And you've equipped us in such a way that through your direction, through your power, we reign over the situations of life, and we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, we ask you to minister to every heart and every life today as only you can do. You know every situation. You know every circumstance. You know every personality. You know how we've gotten into things. You know the way out. You know how to lead us, guide us, and direct us. So I thank you. I thank you for healing anointing in this place to begin to move and Bodies by the anointing, causing an effect and a cure. I thank you for deliverance. I thank you for freedom. I thank you that the anointing binds up that which is broken, puts it back together again. We so honor you, Holy Spirit, in this place. You're anointing your presence. Do exactly what Jesus said you would do. Lead us, guide us, teach us. We thank you for utterance today. To speak as we ought to speak, ears to hear what you're saying. We'll give you all the glory, the honor, the praise, and the thanksgiving for what will be accomplished in every heart and in every life. In Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. 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 Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Happy Mother's Day, moms. Uh, Glad that you're here. What a great day to celebrate our moms and and all that goes with that. Hallelujah. Why don't you look at somebody next to say, Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. And you can be seated. Praise the Lord. It said, Happy Mother's Day. What a great uh, time to celebrate our moms. And I love that video there. Moms in all kinds of situations and circumstances, um, uh, you know, challenges that come their way. Moms uh, seem to rise to the occasion. And we're so uh, thankful. Uh, I'm thankful for all the moms here, what you do uh, in life, what you do with your families, your children, um, in raising them and the the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, encouraging them uh, in the gifts in their life. We appreciate that uh, so much. I'm so uh, thankful for my uh, two girls' mother, my wife. She's an extraordinary mom and uh, has really imparted great things into my two daughters. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for my mom. And, uh, um, you know, if you look at Proverbs 31, uh, I always think about my mom and uh, the strength that she has. She's always, you know, been there for my dad and uh, us and the family. And, you know, we hope that, you know, we've been there for her at different times. But I can tell you already she's been there for us at different times uh, when, you know, we needed somebody. She was there. 
And, uh, you know, she has such a multifaceted uh, strength to her life. She not only has strength, but she has great sensitivity. And my mom is one of the best listeners uh, that uh, I've ever seen. And that probably tells you why most of our family are great talkers, because um, <clears throat> our mom was a great listener. And so uh, <laughs> she would just continue to listen. And, and so uh, just such a wonderful uh, example in our lives. She always was out, uh, always taking care of the family. Um, you know, when it says strength, uh, she, she had strength in her arms, but strength and honor were her clothing, my mom's honor uh, towards others. And uh, to God, really helped us walk in the right direction. And so uh, just so so blessed and so honored on, on this day to have a great mom. And uh, I trust that you feel the same about your mom. And everybody has a different situation, but it's a day when we honor our moms. And, and uh, so my mom is not here right now, but you know, after 89 years, she'll be 90 this year. Um, just to see her example, her steadiness, her strength, her wisdom, her caring, her loving kindness. The Bible says that when there's a woman like that, her children will rise up and call her blessed. Amen. And one of the uh, hopes of my life is that uh, what she's put on the inside of me, what my life has turned out, not just my words, but my life, will call her blessed in everything that she's done. And so we're so thankful for every single mom here. Uh, as Pastor Tasha said, where would we be without our moms? That's pretty simple. We would not be here. Uh, but sometimes we forget that. Even, you know, we maybe have had bad situations and think, well, you know, um, uh, maybe I wish I wasn't. But, you know, you do because God has a plan for your life. And if you haven't realized it yet or the enemy's tried to destroy that, uh, God has a plan for your life. Before you were formed and in the womb, he had a plan for you. And uh, praise the Lord. We believe that that's just a, an amazing, an amazing thing. And so make sure you honor your moms. There's a, a, a photo booth uh, set up out there. What a great time to just get with your family. And, uh, you know, this is always the thing about photo booths. I, I don't think we have somebody taking the picture, right? That's not the... Right, I know. So that's where I was getting. So uh, if ever, somebody's around there, just make sure you take a little bit of time. If somebody says, hey, will you take a picture of my family? Just go, sure, we will, because uh, it'll be a great time, because that's the thing about these photo booths. You know, you, you get there, and if your arm's not long enough <laughs> to get everybody in, then you need somebody to take a picture for you. And so uh, if somebody asks you because their whole family's there, they don't have somebody out to take a picture, do that for them, a great memory, a great acknowledging mom. Uh, uh, you know, one of the things statistically on Mother's Day, uh, churches and restaurants are full. I used to work at a restaurant. Man, Mother's Day, we were like, man, get ready to run all day long. And on Father's Day, churches and restaurants aren't full. River banks are full. Golf courses are full. <laughs> I don't know. Something about that, right? Moms love that relationship. They say, let's get together. Let's go to church together. Let's go eat together. Let's fellowship together. And dads are like, could you get me a fishing pole? Could you get me a golf pass? Um, don't know what it is about that. I'm just saying. All right. Praise God. So happy Mother's Day. I guess that went a little too far. That didn't get any response. All right. Praise the Lord. Father's Day, we'll, we'll get to you. All right. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to John, the 15th chapter. John, the 15th chapter. We started a series a couple of weeks ago, although this won't be specific. It's a great uh, time to really look at this because moms really have such love in their hearts uh, uh, and, and compassion to give and to nurture and to care for uh, 
children and those around them, that we begin to learn something even in that of the love of God. But uh, as we started our series, God Help Me, we began to just talk about really uh, the scriptures that tell us that our help only comes from the Lord. It only comes from God. Jesus said this in, in, in uh, the 15th chapter of John. He said, uh, uh, without me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Right? So he never said, you get apart from me or I should be apart from you. He said, together, I've designed a life that together there are great things that can be produced from my life flowing through your life. He didn't say it should be separate. He said it should be together. The psalmist continually acknowledged that God was his help, his source of all help that came from. Sometimes we get into a situation and we're in a world that really has, has tried to... Uh, uh, propagate and promote so much independence that it's gotten out of balance because we weren't created to simply be independent. We were created to be interdependent. We were created to be uh, uh, intertwined with God and in, in, the, in a greater result, intertwined with fellow believers in God so that in that intertwining, there would be a much greater strength uh, coming together. Just like, uh, you know, the Bible tells us, Ecclesiastes tells us where, where two are together, it's better than one. He really, you know, he goes on to say some things about that, but then all of a sudden he starts to increase and he says, now a threefold cord is not easily broken. In other words, so, so we look at it, at some point, this twining together, we could say, well, I just want two. But then a threefold cord is even stronger. As we bind ourselves together and we begin to intertwine ourselves, there becomes a much greater strength of support. And so God has always designed a way to help us, right? When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we could not get ourselves out. He sent Jesus. And when Jesus came to the earth, Jesus walked amongst people, and as he walked amongst people and there were situations that were created, Jesus was always either teaching, he was bringing healing or deliverance, he was always helping people. And in the midst of his helping people, his end goal was to point them to the kingdom of God. His end goal was to show them this is really what the kingdom of God looks like. When God is overseeing, when God is ruling in our hearts and our lives, there's an intertwining, there's an intermeshing of this whole process of the kingdom. The family in heaven and on earth are actually working together even now. There's situations that are going on. It's all about together, working together so that there's a greater strength. There's a help right? Two are better than one. Why? Because when you fall down, somebody's there to help you get up. When you get cold, somebody's there to help you be warm. So God says, I have, I am the one, your true source and really only source of true help to accomplish this fulfillment of life. And so as we began to look at it and, and understand some things, we talked the, uh, the first week about holiness and, and doing that, and really it segues into a number of things. Everything that, that the Holy Spirit was sent to help us with has to do with holiness, becoming like Him. 
Jesus was holy. James says, that God says, you know, from the Old Testament, be holy because I'm holy. Well, in the Old Testament, you're like, how in the world is that going to happen? I'm going to try, but I can't. But in the New Testament, his life is in us. And he said, now, now what could not be can be because my life is in you and I'm working that holiness. And again, it's, a, it's an ominous thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a large order, if you will, but it's not impossible or he wouldn't have asked us to do that. And he says it doesn't become impossible. Under the old, you could not do it by yourself, and you were just being covered by the bulls of goat, bull, blood of bulls and goats, which was not sufficient. But the blood of Jesus poured out for you, broke all the power of sin, and brought you into a newness of life. Not the same old life, but a new kind of life and a new quality of life that is filled up with who I am. And if I am holy... And you have a revelation that I fill you with myself, then you can be holy. Not on your own, but with the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Because he's there to help you do that. Right? The only thing about help and what we've, because of that independent spirit, many times our pride gets in the way and we say, I don't need your help. Has anybody ever found themselves saying that? Uh, just a couple of you. I know there's more of you that have actually. I don't need your help, right? So we get to this place of either like, I don't need your help. And usually that's, you know, when the right kind of help comes is like, let me come along and stand beside you and help you. No, I don't need that. But then we're like, I need help, which sometimes we say, could you just do that for me? I'm so busy. Could you just do that for me? And so we have to start rightly discerning the help that comes, where that help comes from, the character of the helper, because he's not coming simply to do it for us. So the next time, next week, when we arrive at that same issue, we don't know what to do. So could you come do it for us? And the next week, and so for, you know, many Christians for 30 years are still going, God, can you come do something for me? And he says, I want to offer you the help that comes alongside of you, that is in you, that we are cooperating together so that through my wisdom, my knowledge, my anointing, everything that I am intertwines with you, that I'm going to help you by empowering you to reign in every situation, right? So Jesus did for us things that we could not do on our own. Right? We know that. He helped us. We couldn't have got saved on our own. He did it for us. He became our substitute. Right, That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about every day, the things that face you, the trials, the, the tests, the, the tribulations that face you. He said, I can, I can take you through those. If you'll follow me, if you'll intertwine yourself with me, I'm able to get you through. But I don't want to just get through and then go, we're on the other side. He says, I want to teach you. I want to guide you. I want to strengthen you. I want to impart to you. I want to put you in a position that not only are you empowered to do it, but you're empowered to take others with you. You're empowered to show others how they can be empowered, right? So again, when we get empowered by God, sometimes we think, get out of the way. Let me do it for you. I'm the anointed. But he still doesn't want us to be empowered to do it for someone. He wants us to be empowered to come alongside and help them realize that God's in them and God wants to help them. So we create a greater strength. And it takes time and there's a process, but it's there. All right? 
Praise the Lord. So that's where we're going. And so as we talk about these things, again, as we look down on the inside, we begin to realize, man, I have help. We're not taking away from the gifts that are in each one. But many times as we're working together, we're being strengthened to do what? Reach out to a lost and dying world. The lost and dying world does not have the helper in them. So they need help. Sometimes to do it for them. Sometimes they need much more help saying, listen, this is where you need to come to know Jesus so that you can lay down this life that is bound by sin and receive Jesus. And the moment you do, help comes Help comes for your time of trouble. So we're taking the helper and we're leading others to him. And it takes, uh, uh, it's a power packed thing. And said like that simply, it seems just so easy. I should just be able to go out there. But they don't know they need help. In fact, they would say, I don't need you help. But you have to look and say, oh, you absolutely need my help. But then we can't just do that brashly and enforce that upon them. So we need help on how we help them. And so if I keep going, I'm going to confuse you. But there's so many veins and facets of how this works that if we just try to figure it out and put it strictly in a formula, we'll limit the helper. Because the helper is the Holy Spirit. And so as we talk about this more, we're going to be really talking and, and, and getting hopefully to know the Holy Spirit just a little bit more than we do right now. Just a little bit more. The one that lives on the inside of us. Turn over to John, the 15th chapter or 14th chapter, starting in the 15th verse. And so a couple of weeks ago, I think last week, we landed on this particular portion. God help me love or God help me walk in love. And uh, again, we're, it's, it's so vast, this particular conversation, when we talk about that word love, we just say love because there's different types of love. You know, there's just what we would call natural human love, which is basically a love that's oxymoronic in the fact that it's selfish love. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. Right, So we're like, I'm okay, I don't hate anybody. But if you're selfish, you're not flourishing in love, the love of God. So there is a love that says, and Jesus explains, even the sinners can love this way. If you love me, then I can love you. But if you don't do anything for me, I can't love you. So there is that type of love. So when somebody does something for you, it's like, whoo, I tell young married couples, that's how most people meet. I mean, married couples meet. It's like, Whoo, man, you're good looking. It really may. It does something for me just to look at you. I don't know what it is, but it does something. And so because you approach her because she does something, makes your heart go pitter-patter and all that, you approach her, say, could you go to dinner? And uh, some strange things happen. Whatever she does to you that creates a blood flow that's different, that blood flow opens your ears. It's the strangest thing. You take her to dinner, and you sit down, and you listen to her. And she's like, I have never seen anything like this before, a man that listens to me. I love you because you listen to me. And then something happens after you get married, the blood changes. And your ears close. I'm just saying. 
And then that happens. And, uh, and then she goes like, you don't love me anymore. And so I don't know if I can love you. And you're like, I love you. I've just heard it all. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But it's always based on what you do for me or I do for you, right? And then there's just that brotherly love where we walk in courtesy and, and love for one another. Uh, uh, you know, the responsibility of it is, is high, but it's not, uh, uh, you know, as connecting as other relationships. You know, we know the physical type of love, but there is this love of God that we call unconditional love, but it even goes deeper than that. When you start to study it out, there really isn't a word that the Greeks could come up with that could actually describe the fullness of this love. So agape, this unconditional aspect of love, was the best that they could come up with. But it's so deep, it's so wide, it's so long, it's so high, that you couldn't really describe it or mentally process it. The only way you could really start to know it is to experience it. And in order to experience it, we have to give ourselves over to it. Which becomes a challenge, because in human love, a person you thought loved you deeply, when you made a mistake, they quit loving you. Because it was human love. And so if we have too much of that, we come to God and we're not willing to make a mistake before God because he might not love us. So many, even Christians say, I love, I'm glad God loved me. He forgave me. They haven't really experienced another depth of his love because of fear, which is why he said, come on, I need you to give this over to me. Because once you experience it, it's going to start to cast out and away the fear that has been developed through the human love that surrounds you. The fear of failing someone, failing me, will go away because I'm going to bind you in such a love that you won't fail me. If it came to failing me, you'd be so compelled by that love that you would not go away. He wants to bring us to that depth of love. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, John the 15th chapter. Got a little ahead of myself there. John the 15th chapter. The 14th verse. We touched on this last week, and, and we'll go on beyond that. Praise the Lord. John the 14th chapter, the 15th verse. I'm sorry. Keep going back and forth. 14th chapter, 15th verse. I know where it is. <laughs> if you just know, knew me, I got about six things rolling around. Up here, it's a really small space, <clears throat> and it's crowded right now. All right, verse 15. If you love me, Jesus says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. 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 So why do you keep saying that? Because this is what we hear most of the time. I need to keep his commandments to prove that I love him. He did not say that. He did not say if you will keep my commandments, I'll know that you love me. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Loving him comes first, not trying to keep his commandments. Loving him comes first, not trying to keep his commandments. We hear too often, I did all that. God, that should prove I love you. He's like, no, that proves you're struggling. That proves you don't know me. 
But when you love me, which only can take place to the right extent when you know I love you. John said it like this in his epistle. He said, we only love him because he first loved us. He first loved us. So he's endeavoring to draw us into this divine relational exchange, and that is, I want you to know. I don't want you to think I died for you to put you in another kind of work situation. I died for you to break the power of sin and the self-effort that you are trying to, to push forward to say, I'm worthy now. I did this. He said, no, it never measured up. I broke all that. I did the work to pay for all that. Why did I do all the work to pay for that? Because I love you. So there we don't have to do anything. He says there's just such a dynamic change that when you get it, you'll understand. There's one thing of laboring to do something and then say, there you go, I deserve you to love me. And saying, I don't deserve you to love me at all. And you did. What in the whole wide world could I do for you? Come on, we're locked into. I did it. Do you love me? Even as Christians, we got to break this out. Once we break this out, wow. I did it. I did it. You love me? I'm accepted. It's like, man, you didn't get it. But the moment we step into that place and we know how much he loved us, we didn't deserve it. He did it to satisfy his love for us. He didn't do it because we demanded it. He didn't do it because we're like, if you don't do something, we're going to hell. He said, if I don't do anything, the people I love that I created will go to hell. Nobody twisted his arm to send Jesus. Nobody did enough works. Nobody cried out loud enough for him to send Jesus. Nobody despaired enough for him to send Jesus. He said, I look down, and you cannot get out of this. And if I don't do something, you'll be forever separated from me. And I cannot take that. I cannot take that. And we begin to grasp that and say, my God. My God, you could have left me to myself and that slavery of sin and my own choices, but you didn't do that. I don't deserve such love. I don't deserve such acceptance. I don't deserve forgiveness, yet you did it anyway. Oh my God, you love me. I love you. What can I do for you? It's a whole different angle. Now listen, you might be sitting there going, that's just semantics. The devil's working on you. It's not just semantics. It's the difference between your labor and your rest. It's a difference between working hard and never getting anywhere and putting your hand to something that will always prosper. The love of God is incredibly, incredibly powerful. So, Wow, we got, hung up. we got stuck on that one for a while. All right. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And when you do that, when you decide, I'm going to live life your way because I love you so much and I didn't deserve it. What can I do for you? He says, whatever you're going to do for me is bigger than you've done to this point. 
Because you've been connected to the temporary and the natural. You've been connected to that which is withering and dying. But now you are connected to eternity. You are connected to a life that will go on and on and on. The produce of it will go on and on and on. So from this, up to this point, you've experienced something that's temporary. You can do it for the moment. But I'm going to connect you to something that you're going to do in a moment that will affect eternity. And you can't do that by yourself. You're going to need help. So he said, I pray the Father, and he's going to send you the helper. Somebody say the helper. Come on. Another helper, one just like me, that he may abide with you how long? Man, when I get in this situation, God, I need some help. God, I've got myself into a mess right now, and I need you to help me get out of it. You see how we start walking our life, even in that, even as Christians, we're like, I know what you're talking about, but some of you just last week just were thinking, I'm in a mess. God, I need your help. And we're thinking, hmm, but he said, I give you the helper and he's not going to leave you when things are going good. And then you need to call him back when you made a mistake. No, he's living, he's abiding forever. So what's he going to help? He's going to help you with this redundancy that happens in life, this cycle that says, I make a mistake, God, help me, bail me out, whoo, thanks for forgiving me, I make another mistake, God, I need your help. Instead of that, he says, I abide with you forever. So just think about it the next time you approach a mistake and say, could you help me with this decision? Could you help me with the right thing to say? Could you help me with some wisdom right now? Because I know who you are, and you're my helper, and you abide with me forever. So we're never without help. That's good news. Some of you look like you're scratching your head like, never? I feel like I've been without help. I'm not saying we haven't felt like we're without help. I'm not saying we haven't felt like we're alone. I'm just saying if you've accepted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's been with you all the while you were feeling like you needed somebody to help you. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you to people who are full of him to help you. And when they do, it'll bear witness with the spirit that's in you because the same spirit's in them. And you'll go, aha, now, thank you, I know what to do. All right, but we're getting to a specific subject. Turn over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said this, um, says, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets. So he said everything hangs on this. Everything really that you're going to move through, if you're going to move through it correctly, hangs on loving God and loving people. So whether we, we define it or not, we see it or not, the greatest challenges that come in our life have to do with believing, trusting, and loving God and loving people around us. Right? We feel like God's not there when he should be there. That gets into our head. And then we don't know if we want to love God or not if he's not taking care of us. And then people, you know, they, they look the wrong way at us or they do stuff. I mean, there's some stuff that is really bad out there. There's really some wickedness out there that we have to overcome and deal with. But then there's sometimes just us dealing with a relationship. Why don't they do things my way? Why can't they see my, my side of things? Why can't? And it's really usually just if everybody could see things the way I do, live life the way I do, uh, wouldn't life be grand? No, it wouldn't be. Right? I'm just helping you all. All of you that are married, if you would have married yourself, that would be a disaster. There was a reason why you fell in love with your spouse. You saw something different than you saw in you. But then all of a sudden we get married and the enemy starts saying, they're different than you. They should do it your way. Your way is the best way. And you start arguing. If you just went back to the beginning and went, I didn't marry you. I didn't want to marry somebody like me. Okay, we'll move on. But it's not God that brings all those challenges. God was the one that led us into finding somebody who had the strengths would, that would fill in for our weakness. It's after the fact that you've made that covenant, you saw that, you, you love that, that the enemy comes in and says, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. I mean, they're just not like you. They should do things like you. And when they say, why? Why would I do things like you? Well, because I know how to do it. And you think I don't? Well, I'm not saying that. My way is just better. All right, we keep moving. So if that doesn't challenge you to, to love at some level, then God bless you. But most people, it does challenge them at some level. It becomes frustrating. It's a, it's a strategy of the devil to begin to divide and conquer. But realizing by love, we've been put together and we're different, and love is the one thing that could actually make these differences come together for strength. Not intellect, not manipulation, but love is the only thing that can make these things come together. But we insist on my way. All right. So love, we'll get to it. We can't get to it today. Love actually produces itself in knowledge and all discernment. So we actually could discern, you know what? You do this better than I do. All right. Praise the Lord. Now I've got to figure out where I'm at. All right. So, so Paul, Paul uh, this is so much different than the first service. I'm moving all over. All right. Romans chapter 13, verse 10. Paul echoes what Jesus said. And he said, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. 
Love is the fulfillment of the law. The Passion Translation says it like this. Love makes it impossible to harm another. Love makes it impossible to harm another. So love fulfills all that the law requires. Love fulfills all that the law requires. Praise the Lord. All that the law requires. So in this little book right here by Henry Drummond, it says the greatest thing in the world. We have it in our bookstore. It'd be great. It was written a long time ago, but he he labels it the greatest thing in all the world. And so right here, he addresses this particular scripture with the Apostle Paul. Love is the fulfilling of the law. So he says this. He says, you can readily see for yourself how that must be so. Take any of the commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If a man love God, you will not require to tell him that. If you love God, you won't have to say, hey, listen, there's nothing before you. It'll already be there. Love is the fulfilling of that law. Take not his name in vain. Would, you, would he ever dream of taking his name in vain if he loved him? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Would he not be too glad to have one day in seven to dedicate more exclusively to the object of his affection. One day. So, you know, again, we, if you're not careful, you get hung up on which day. When Paul ministered to the Gentiles, he just said, whatever, don't let anybody judge you on your Sabbath. All, all, all a Sabbath is is a day of rest, a day given unto him. He is our rest. So he said, if you loved him, it wouldn't be any big deal to take a day to give to him. Okay, love would fulfill all these laws regarding God. And so, if he loved man, he would never think of telling him to honor his father and mother. He could not do anything else. It would be preposterous to tell him not to kill. You could only insult him if you suggested that he should not steal. How could he steal from those he loved? It would be superfluous to beg him not to bear false witness against his neighbor. If he loved him, it would be the last thing he would do. And you would never dream of uh, urging him not to covet what his neighbor had. He would rather they possess it than himself. In this way, love is fulfilling the fulfilling of the law. It is the rule for fulfilling all rules. The new commandment for keeping all the old commandments. I like this, what he says right here. Christ's one secret to the Christian life. One secret to the Christian life. The love of God. The love of God. See, we look at it and say, good thing we're not under the law. The Ten Commandments. He said, no, the only reason that you're not looking at the Ten Commandments is because the two have come and they fulfill it, fulfill it all. And the reason there, there was ten there is because God was outside. He says, right now, the love of God, when you got born again, the love of God came with the Holy Spirit. It is now shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. To say, I cannot love like that would be a standing against the very thing that God did for you in Christ Jesus. 
what you could not do apart from him, he has put his love, his love, this dynamic kind of love on the inside of us. It exists. If we give place to the helper who will develop that, it will take place. Many times we don't give place to that because, again, we look at our faith. We look at hope. We look at uh, vision. We look at things that we need to focus on, but we begin to push love aside because we think, oh, I love people. But again, when we put the proper emphasis on it, as the Bible does, we don't just say, well, we'll push that aside and get to it later. We realize that everything else has its proper setting, its proper empowerment, and its proper release from, by, and through the love of God on the inside of us. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says this, And above all things, somebody say above all things. things. Say it again, above all things. things. That means above everything else, more important than anything else, above all these things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Listen, when we're like, you know what, I just can't, I'm offended and I just can't get over it. When you say that, you're saying, I'm really not putting on the love of God. Because the love of God will help you move past things that otherwise would bog you down, connect you to a wrong, and hold you there. But the love of God will say, you know what, I can forgive you and we can move on. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, after he said, put off all the old life that was there that kept you subject to sin, put on the new life, he encapsulizes it all in this. He said, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. The Message Bible says it like this, and regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Never be without it. The Passion Translation says it like this. For love is supreme and must flow through each of these other virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. In other words, you can put on all those other things right to that. He said, but love is the most important thing. It's supreme. It has to flow through all of those other things to cause them to shine and have the relevance that God intends for them to have. And so as we began to go through this last week, you know, we, we, we hit this place. We're moving a little slower than I thought, but we'll, we'll cover one more thing and then we'll close this morning. But last week we said, if you don't know the love of God, you can't know him. The Bible says you can't know him. You know, at first John said, you say you know him, but you're not doing his commandment. You're not loving each other. So you don't really know him. You think you know him, but you don't know him right? He says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, he said, my beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. You know, he didn't say he isn't born of God. You might be born again, but not know him Because we're holding back on growing in the love of God. He said, I want you to develop this because I died, not just so you could be born, but so you could mature and know me intimately and personally. Number two, we'll cover this today. Through uh, love, we purify our hearts. Through love, we purify our hearts. There's just something about the power of love 
that's so dynamic and so uh, we understand things. So we talked last week just a little bit about loving less. He said, if you hate your brother, right? Well, what does it mean, hate my brother? To love less. Well, to love less than what? Well, according to the command, to love less than yourself. To love less than yourself. In, in uh, uh, what is it, Luke, the 14th chapter, Jesus is talking about a great marriage feast. Then he talks about discipleship of him. And he said, unless you hate your father, your mother, your brother, and your sister, and hate yourself also, you cannot be my disciple. And people don't teach on those very often. And, and we don't, when we read them, we just try to get past them really fast because we define hate as something so, uh, but he defines it as love less. So he's not saying something that should give us great consternation. Jesus, with all of his wisdom, is just making sense. Right? He says, if you love your mother and father, your brother, your sister, and you love yourself more than you love me, you can't possibly be my disciple because I know this. Whoever you love the most is who you will follow. And if you say that you're my disciple, but you love your mother most, when your mother goes left and I go right, you're going left because you love your mother the most. When it comes right down to it, if you love yourself the most and you want to go left and I go right, you're going left because you love yourself. So he's just making a practical term. If you don't love these less than me, he doesn't say you have to beat them up, you have to spit on them, you have to kick them out the door, you have to hate them. He says, you have to love them less than you love me. You have to love them less than you love me. And so I'm just going to use this, this, this analogy just to help us. It's, it's, sometimes it's difficult to understand uh, these things. This is what I came up with when I was praying. So you have somebody come into your life for whatever reason. You highly esteem them. You put a mark on their life. You, you, you say, well, they're going to help me in this way. They're going to influence me in this way. They're going to do this for me. They're going to do that for me. And all of a sudden, they don't live up to your expectations. And all that you were doing and all that you were saying and how much you loved them and endeared to them, they made a mistake. They didn't live up to your expectations. They didn't do something. And so all of a sudden, you begin to love them less. You begin to love them less. Well, now what happens is you begin to love them less. One, you're putting something on somebody that you had in your mind, not what they had in their mind. And then we all know People are going to make mistakes. God's not finished with this yet. But you begin to say, you know what? You've come down on my totem pole. And then you start to list off reasons why you've come down on my totem pole. And we make sense of it. But we've started loving less, which does what? Having to make excuses for why we love less starts to taint our heart. It starts to taint our heart. But when we come to God and say, listen, God, you're not finished with anybody yet. And I put unfair expectations. I expected something. I was disappointed. They made a mistake. Maybe even they sinned. But there's an avenue of loving them with the consistency of your love that I can keep my heart from speaking ill. I can keep my heart from degrading, putting down. I can keep my heart pure if I'll reflect on how much you love them. Because really, who am I, even if they made that mistake, if you forgive them, but I can't? 
well, I'm more powerful than God. And they didn't do it to God. They did it to me. Wait a minute. Jesus said, if you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. So if they did it to you, they did it to him. But they came to him and said, here, I need my life fixed. I need it put back together. He said, I forgive you. But we put ourselves above God, loving ourselves more than him. We're not able to forgive. So when we see the love of God and we know it, correctly we process it correctly we embrace it correctly we ask the holy spirit teach me of the love of god show and reveal to me the love of god something starts to happen in our hearts something starts to happen by the spirit of god in our hearts this starts to purify so i don't know about that we were talking about a gentleman just asked for an appointment to come into my office this was this, just this winter, Sunday evening services and some things, we talked about some things. God began to deal with him concerning a love walk in his life. We hadn't really talked about that, but God began to deal with him about a love walk in his life. So he came and he sat down in my office and he said, I'm just going to give you some examples because I'm just here to give a testimony and thank you for preaching the word and, 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 and sharing the things, being bold to share those things because God got a hold of me. And he said, you know me, you know me. Man, stuff goes on, politics stuff. He said, I'm the first one to jump on board and be angry and stuff. He says, man, God is like arresting me. He said, there is people that I never would have loved. And God is showing me how I love them. In my mind, I'm like, hmm? But in my heart, I'm loving them. And I'm sitting there just trying to hold back tears. I'm like, oh my God, teach me. Um, man, it'll purify your heart. He said, it's just working through my heart. Stuff that was there about people. Why? It's just moving out. It's reality. God wants to purify our hearts. How? By some other system? No, by knowing his love, us embracing that, and then him showing us how he does it. Praise the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Why don't you stand up? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. He says, since you have already purified your soul's in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love. So he said, how did you purify your soul? In obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love. So obeying God's Word, the Spirit of God helping you in love will start to purify your heart. Sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. In other words, he said, if you went through the process of obeying the truth, having the Holy Spirit help you and energize you to love the brethren, then keep on loving the brethren. Don't let anything get into your heart and stop it. Come on, tomorrow, maybe before you get out the door, maybe that person is on the way out and they don't take your family photo Maybe the waiter or waitress where you go to lunch isn't right on top of it. 
just pause for a moment. When your mind starts to go, this waitress, just pause for a minute and say, what a busy day. Holy Spirit, I'm not giving place to that. Keep my heart pure towards this waitress. That person must have been in a hurry that they couldn't love me enough to take that picture. Right after they heard this message, what is wrong with them? Nothing. The devil's working on you. <laughs> I just secured it for you. People are taking your picture. Um, <laughs> praise the Lord. So powerful. We're just scratching the surface. We won't spend a year and a half on it, although we probably could. The love of God, the most important thing above all. We're going to finish up. I thought we'd finish five today, but we went a little different direction. We'll finish up a week after next on the love of God. There's so much more the Spirit of God's going to help us with, but above all, the most important. These three things abide, faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love, and it's not a superficial love. It's not what we can come up with. It's what God's trying to do in us to become stronger, wiser, more discerning, more powerful than we ever dreamed we could. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, right now, in your presence. We thank you. You lead us, you guide us, you teach us. You have brought the holy you have brought the love of God into every heart and life that has received you. You brought that very character, that very foundational life-giving force of the love of God on the inside of us. As we become more aware of it, we've looked at it today I ask you to start to stir it up on the inside of each and every one of us strengthen us in our inward parts to be established in this love to comprehend its fullness to experience that which you have planned for us to experience in your love that we might know it beyond knowledge and in knowing it, we know how to love you back. We love you because you first loved us. And we set that divine relationship loving you with everything that we have. Then there's a natural point of reciprocating and moving it outward towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lead us, guide us, show us. And in doing that, in stepping in, we begin to know you more. And we begin to see the power of love and what it will do concerning our future success in life with you. Thank you for ministering to every heart in life. We ask you to forgive us where we've not paid attention to it. Forgive us for our own selfishness becoming more uh, visible, louder than what the Spirit of God is saying from the inside. Help us to quiet the self-voice and turn up the volume to your voice. Strengthen each one. Reveal to each one the magnitude of your love. 
cause it to abound. Abound, not just trickle, but abound towards each one in all knowledge and all discernment. That we might be a people who approve not simply what's popular, what the day is, or what our flesh wants, but we approve those things that are excellent. And we live in that sincere love without offense until you come again. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for any, you have something? Oh, we're going to pray for Miriam. Praise the Lord. All right, before we pray for Miriam, if you need prayer for anything, there will be altar workers up here to stand with you, agree with you, take hold together with you, and pray for you. We want to pray for Miriam. She is about to head out to Florida uh, to minister's training school. And so why don't you come up here? We're going to pray her out. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You can face them. Why don't you come pray with me? Y'all stretch your hands out here. We like to, as people are going and pursuing the will of God for their life, just pray for them that, you know, the body around from here, we support them. We, we send them out with our prayers and Bring them up here so you can remember if she comes to mind. Oh, yeah, that's right. She's at school. I'm going to continue to pray for her. And uh, the the grace and the ability, the things she's learned here, will carry her into the next uh, uh, phase of the ministry and life that God has for her. So, Father, we thank you so much right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We're so grateful. We're so thankful. God, for the plans that you have for us, that they're of good, not evil, of a future and a desired outcome. God, you have a plan, you have a path for Miriam. You have a a way for her to walk in. So as she pursues that path, Father, I thank you for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of her heart are flooded with light. She sees the path laid before her, that she walks in that path. As she studies your word, that word becomes alive through revelation. It becomes a light unto her path and a lamp unto her feet that she might see the steps that are ordered by you before her, that she would walk in them, God, that you would instill in her a love for people as she steps into ministerial training, that she would begin to see not the position of ministry, but the service of ministry and the lives changed as she walks in obedient and sincere love. There would be a great anointing and great power that flows through her to bring help and strength to those in need. So, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for guiding her steps, the anointing upon her life. We thank you that angels guard round about her as she travels, wherever she goes, head to toe, top to bottom, side to side. Every vehicle she gets in, everywhere she goes, every person that confronts her, she has angelic protection guarding round about her wherever she goes. We thank you for that. Father, we just thank you and put ourselves in agreement that every need that she has is supplied for. We thank you, Father, that you go before her. And that you provide for her every need. And even now, Father, there's just things that are taking place that you're aligning those places to stay, places to uh, be. And I thank you, Father, for every financial provision that's needed for her school. I thank you, Lord, that you meet her. You meet her in her step of faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We'll say this we go. What God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. And be dismissed.